Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Andrew. I'll be joined by my good friend Matt this week, who is reverse aging, which means that we need to go very, very quickly because I do not want to finish this show uh, with a baby uh, to do the final section. So, uh, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. And uh, yeah, if. Uh... My voice suddenly changes or you hear like crying in the background, you'll know that we've sort of gone on a bit too long about this episode and I've uh, de-aged to a child and that won't be very good. Yes, and uh, happy Groundhog Day, Matt. And so, I mean, should we do do the Groundhog Day joke? You know, welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, uh, or is that just too gimmicky? We'll just like repeat the first section like seven times. For the podcast, we won't do the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like if I uh, if I go up out of my basement and I see my shadow, it means we're going to get four more seasons of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I walk up. No, no, no. Uh, anyway, uh, this is not Star Trek Discovery. This is Star Trek The Next Generation. Too short a season. Um, and Matt, why don't you give us a little recall on whether I remembered which one this was and give me a uh, score out of five elderly admirals. Well, I think you may have done a uh, switcheroo, as it were. Uh, I think you may have been thinking of Code of Honor. Yeah, I think so. Because you described an episode where they they go to this planet, uh, which you felt it wasn't the first time the Federation had been to this planet, but it was sort of the one one of the first times. And you talked about how Tasha Yar got in trouble with the native population, and Picard and Riker had to uh, like extricate her from this uh, whole mishap. And that, you know, she did something that wasn't necessarily wrong, but it was wrong in the eyes of the native population. You mentioned that Picard would give a big speech that, you know, people sort of went against what they believed in to to get Yar extricated from this whole scenario. And then you also mentioned there'd be cheesy outfits and cheesy dialogue. And uh, that's a pretty good description of Code of Honor, but not a good description of too short a season. I guess Picard does kind of have a couple of speeches and there were some cheesy outfits in this and some cheesy dialogue. So I... I'm going to give you a score of one elderly admiral out of five. Um, You managed to score a few uh, points on just sort of generic things, but uh, yeah, a bit of a switcheroo here, I think. It actually goes one step further because when I, uh, when we stopped the recording last uh, two weeks ago uh, and I went and typed into Google and recognized that I had made the mistake, I was like, oh, no, I made a mistake. But thankfully, it's that great episode where the elderly admiral comes in and, uh, you know, he when he's he's de-aging and he kicks Riker in this hilariously awesome 
fight scene. And so I was so excited for that particular scene when I was watching it. And then the whole episode went by and it never happened. So just as a little <laughs> tidbit or a little trivia question for you, Matt, which which episode of Star Trek The Next Generation is it where there is an admiral and he kicks Riker in a hilarious like axe kick like uh, move? Yeah. And Riker goes like flying through the doors. Right. Or is that yes. Worf when Worf came to like try to help him? I think that they he, he fights off. I, I remember that Riker gets the axe kick, and then I think Worf gets like pushed pushed over or knocked over. Do you know the episode? I believe it was conspiracy. Exactly. Yeah, conspiracy. One of the most gruesome scenes in Star Trek history in that episode. Yeah, I I for some reason thought that this was kind of the same type of thing, but it is not. So um, if you haven't seen it or you've got jumbled up and mixed about like me, uh, this is Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1, but it's Episode 16. It uh, originally aired on February 18th, 1988, and it guest stars Clayton Rohner as Admiral Jameson, Marsha Hunt as his wife Anne, and Michael Patakai as Kamas. This one was written by Michael McKillian and directed by Rob Bowman. And in case you haven't watched it or it's been a long time since you have, this is what happens. The USS Enterprise is tasked with escorting Admiral Mark Jameson to Mordan 4 to be an impartial Federation liaison in a terrorist hostage situation. Jameson is well past his prime and confined to a wheelchair, as well as suffers from Iverson syndrome, an incurable disease that affects the body brutally, but not the mind. Jameson has history on Mordan 4 from a mission that was from 45 years prior with the governor of the planet Kamas. As the Enterprise makes its way to the destination, Admiral Jameson begins to feel better from the Iverson syndrome, which shocks Chief Medical Officer Beverly Crusher, who says there is no known occurrences of this happening. Jameson's wife, Anne, is tickled to have her man back up and walking about, but soon realizes that he has gone to extraordinary lengths to get it by taking anti-aging, reverse-aging medicine that's been banned by the Federation. Worse still, it turns out that he had planned on giving them both the medicine to run off young and free together, but chose instead <laughs> to take the allot her allotment as well. By the time they arrive to the planet, Jameson is a young man again and leads the away mission to free the hostages. In a very TOS finale, Jameson dies of young age and Kamas decides to release the hostages, having learned an important lesson. All right, Matt. Now, this is uh, from a long time ago, right? We were just little wee ones running around, but I guess it is kind of uh, good to go back and look at some of the history and production behind this particular episode. The first one was that it originally involved a much more complicated plot with uh, Jameson deranking himself and becoming the first officer of the Enterprise. And part of his scheme would have had to get Riker off of the Enterprise. And so he used his admiral rank to get Riker his own ship and then deranked himself. So, excuse me, so that he could uh, become the first officer and then he would be the first person to you know be called upon for this particular mission um, what do you think of that as an idea because it reeks of uh, you know something that we've seen in the movies before uh, so what do you think of that as an idea as an admiral going back to a lower rank that's way more complicated than what we got well and but the, the question is is it more complicated than it needs to be I would say so, yes, because as an admiral, he can basically do what he wants. And we see that in this episode. You know, I don't think it's really necessary for him to come up with this scheme of, oh, we're going to just send Riker off on his own ship 
for however long this takes. And I'm going to be the first officer. Instead, he just, you know, goes and does the mission. He just says, okay, I'm taking command of your ship for the duration of this mission. And uh, let's go. And that's it. Right. Now, the only one thing that's kind of bothered me with Star Trek throughout the years is that, I mean... Is I mean, there are different admirals, correct? Like there's fleet admirals and rear fleet admirals and stuff. In Star Trek, it's always just a kind of assumed that the admiral is just kind of the rank above the captain. Um, but would he be the admiral for this section? Are they just kind of like uh, professors at universities where he's just a you know tenured admiral and they're bringing him in for this one particular mission? What was your take on the admirals in Star Trek, uh, just kind of in terms of rank and comparison? Well, I viewed them much the way that you did. They were just the guys that were in charge of the captains. And they I, it doesn't really go into a lot of detail as to like, Oh yes, this admiral is in charge of this sector. This admiral is in charge of like this fleet of ships. Uh, they don't really go into a lot of detail about it, and um, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's really necessary. I mean, I, I know Trek fans have a reputation of being very nitpicky and very thorough, and oh, that guy should be a rear admiral, and that guy should be a vice admiral based on what he's doing or whatever. I don't know if it was really necessary to go into a lot of gory details about how, what admirals do. We just know that they're like, you know, a step above the captain. Right. And they, everybody's got to listen to what they say, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I guess that's kind of why they eventually just decided to leave him an admiral because then he could just do what he wants. And basically you get the same story. Um, the other thing that was a big kind of point of contention is that uh, originally they wanted him to stop aging at the age of 14 And the episode would essentially end with him becoming friends with Wesley Crusher and kind of like taking a tour of the ship. Um, And then that was a bit of a, I don't know, it kind of, a lot of people butted heads, most notably Gene Roddenberry, uh, in terms of how they wanted this to end. And eventually they decided with him dying of young age. What are your thoughts on that? Like just like the serum basically running out or wearing off and that it would stop at 14. Uh, well, this whole thing about him becoming friends with Wesley Crusher, like you mentioned cheese in your recall. I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> cheesy thing to happen. Like, oh, I'm going to become pals with, you know, Wesley Crusher, even though I'm like 85 years old, like an 85 year old man trapped in a 14 year old body. Like, I don't know if that really <laughs> plays. Uh, yeah, this, the, where the serum sort of ended was kind of an interesting thing because it doesn't really, they didn't really explain like how it worked or what age it would it would change you to like whether it was like oh it'll de-age you all the way to when you like hit puberty or when you become like a fully developed adult or when you're in like your your physical prime or whatever like I didn't really explain that so I mean I guess they could have just had it stop whenever they wanted to yeah I mean I guess is this kind of like the Benjamin Button thing remember that was um that movie where with Brad Pitt where he started old and he went in reverse age But I believe that that movie, spoiler alert, um, I think it ends with him basically just becoming like a baby and then eventually like his cells dividing until he's like just one cell and then that's it. Would you have rather maybe seen something like that where he literally just de-aged into the point of nothingness? Maybe. I don't know how well they would have been able to do that in 1987, though. Right. And you know what? That might be the reason why they just didn't do it. Maybe. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. And we're going to bring back the Wesley Crusher thing afterwards because there was another little piece of production interest that comes along with it. Um, I mean, in terms of the actual background stuff, though, I mean, I don't think anybody seemed very happy with the old person makeup. It doesn't really hold up by today's standards, and nobody even of the time was super happy with it. Um, and the other interesting point was that this was the first episode that Mark Altman visited the set for. And um, we have both read uh, his work with the first 25 years, uh, Star Trek, and then the next 25 years, Star Trek, that made up the 50 years of Trek series. Um, and I believe I do kind of recall him talking about going to the set um, a, a variety of times. Do you remember any specific kind of points from those books? I know you read both of them as well. Well, they're pretty extensive volumes. Uh, I think I think he was uh, like an intern, like uh, he was writing for the his like college newspaper at this time. I think I read that. Yeah, I don't know if he didn't really mention a lot about like his own experience in those books. It was more just, not really no. Yeah, it was more just like yeah, I did it. I hung out there a little bit and I interviewed all these people all these n- numerous times. Um, yeah, he didn't really mention talk a lot about his own experience. Those are pretty cool books, though. So if you've never read the 50 Years of Trek, um, definitely a high recommendation from me, and I think from you as well, Matt. Uh, yeah, I would almost say they're like required reading if you're if you're interested in behind the scenes stuff and you're interested in sort of. I find that those books and and they've the, those same two authors wrote a similar book about Battlestar Galactica, which I've also read, and it's they're very much. Um, if you're even just interested in how they make a TV show and sort of the work that goes into it and the time that they have to spend on it, uh, like those books are pretty, pretty good for getting a good idea of, of that sort of stuff too. So um, yeah, if you're interested in behind the scenes kind of stuff and TV production, they're pretty good books to read. There's a lot of uh, interesting stuff in there. And one thing about the old man makeup, uh, can you imagine what that would look like if they did it today? Oh, I don't know that they would do it. I think they'd maybe just do CGI. Well, even if they did, I mean, yeah, it I would think probably it would look really <laughs> good. Look a lot better. Yeah, definitely. The, the, the one thing I would say, though, like that they use the same actor throughout the episode is pretty impressive because he looks a lot different when the like, especially at the very beginning when he's in the you know eighty-five-year-old man makeup. Like, it's hard for me to believe that the guy at the end, when he's like you know back to being whatever twenty-five or thirty. And the guy at the beginning, like I, I was like, I was pretty impressed with just how different he looked. Yeah, the only thing that I would say, kind of in in contrary to that, was that remember Ian McDermott did uh, Emperor Palpatine for uh, R- Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and then but he was young when they did that 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 movie, and then by the time that the later movies like Phantom Menace and stuff came out, they were able to use him after he had already aged, that kind of thing. So, um, I mean, I think that that makeup that they used for Albert Palpatine was probably better, but it's also a movie, not a TV show. So, um, but yeah, that's right around the same time, right? Emperor, or Return of the Jedi is what, 84, 85? Yeah, it would be pretty close within a couple of years, two or three years. Or 87, yeah. maybe. 87 Return of the Jedi is. So, um, yeah, it's, that was the other one that it really reminded me of, of a young person playing an old person. But yeah, um, I thought the makeup was okay, actually, because it was a little bit, like, silly, so that as you he got younger, it was more of a contrast, I felt, which was kind of helped it, maybe. Well, the, like, the makeup itself was not good, but the, the, the way that he, like, just how different he looked, I thought was pretty good. 
That's what I guess I would say is like just just the difference between the young and the old was very drastic, even though the makeup was not great. Yeah, the contrast was very good for sure. All right, Matt, let us break down the plot here uh, to too short a season. And this is essentially all laid out for us in the plot or not in the plot in the teaser. Um, so in the teaser, we get the whole story of how this Admiral's coming. There's the hostages. There's this guy named Kamas. Uh, and then Jameson beams aboard. And basically he says like, I'm taking charge. Uh, and so, you know, here we go. This is, this is the episode. Uh, we don't get that a lot, but uh, we get it, I guess, often enough where we, we're kind of privy to what's going to happen. Um, I could have sworn, like, if I would have lost so much money if this was a gambling podcast and not a uh, review podcast, because <laughs> I could have sworn that this was like middle, middle, early next generation. I'm shocked that this is this early on. I was quite surprised actually that it was season one as well. I thought it would have been the second season. Like I knew it was when they were wearing like the painted on first and second season uniforms, but I didn't know it was the first season. I would have guessed like mid season two. Yeah. Were you a little like taken aback by the fact that the story here is about a terrorist hostage negotiation terrorists don't show up a lot in star trek like not in their true kind of like how we see them and the word terrorist even doesn't come up as often as i feel like you might think well i think they use them sparingly just for effect you know like i think i think star trek they try to focus more on positivity and and not really look at the sort of the the nastier side of humanity as much especially in the next generation i mean deep space nine they they go to it a little bit more often it's not really about terrorists at all it's not really even about the negotiations it's more about this anti-aging admiral and one thing i absolutely love in old star trek i don't know that we get it as much as we used to um sadly but i love seeing our favorite characters and captains outranked and right off the very hop here we definitely know that this is going to be the case because the Admiral shows up and flat out tells them, hey, listen, you know, you can drive the ship, but I'm running the mission. And Picard and Riker are very turned off by that. Uh, do you think that that is a fair reaction for them? Or do you think that, you know, in true military sense, you know, this is the Admiral. If he wants to call the shots, then that's the way that it's going to be. It is a bit surprising because I feel like it is part of protocol that if the Admiral needs to take command of the ship, that they would. And I feel like they should be prepared for that. So it was a little bit surprising how chagrined they seemed to be that, you know, they were basically being told, yeah, you, you guys are basically just going to do what I tell you to do. Yeah, and this is not the only time that we've seen it, right? Like, remember that episode Chain of Command where Jellicoe comes in and he's going to shake it up and everything? And Riker <laughs> and Troy and everybody are... They, they have a sour taste in their mouth. Uh, they maybe have it a little good on the Enterprise. And so whenever anybody who's higher ranking shows up, it tends to kind of... It always goes this way, doesn't it? I feel like... Remember the Pegasus episode with... Is it Admiral Quinn? Pressman. Pressman, right. Oh, yeah, he was Quint on uh, on Lost. 
He's well. His name. His name is Terry O'Quinn. And right, exactly. So in uh, that one as well, right? And he starts kind of taking charge of the of the ship of the mission, and it always kind of leaves a prickly feeling um not just with the characters but for us as well right because we're just so used to it being a certain way and i just love that dynamic what are what are your kind of thoughts on uh not just admirals but like ranking in star trek that has always been one of my favorite things well they definitely like stick to it right like it's not like uh, it's not like they're inconsistent in the way that like if admirals need to take command of a ship that there's no like ambiguity about it right it's like okay well the admiral's in charge so we're gonna do what he needs to do and and yeah like they they stick pretty strictly to their ranking system which is good because uh it wouldn't make a lot of sense if they didn't you know if it was inconsistent or right i guess my question maybe i'm not i'm not asking the question well enough but like i would even go like a step further like in episodes where you know picard has to pull rank on Riker, or where the doctor has to use his chief medical uh officer rank to derank the captain or something are those episodes where you see that and you're like oh yeah 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 or are you like oh things are getting interesting you know like Picard's pulling rank. You know that stuff's getting serious now. Like, what are your feelings on when you see it explicitly said? Well, it, it's very effective most of the time because, like you said, if, uh, you know, any time that uh, the term that's an order is is used, like, you know that, like, something serious is going down because they're going to tell you to do something that you don't want to do, but you have to because they're the captain or they're the commander. So, yeah, when they when they pull it out, it is usually pretty effective as far as telling you that, like, things are about to get pretty serious. Yeah, I just and they don't do it that often. So it kind of makes it special when it does happen, if that makes sense. You know, like there's just a little bit like of a, ooh, you know, especially the one the doctor has to, you know, basically pull rank over the captain just for medical reasons. It's just so rare that when it happens. I just love that kind of stuff, man. I just think that that's the exact kind of tension and, um, you know, build up that I, I love in my in my TV series. So uh, I'm glad that you like that as well. Uh, this wheelchair that uh, Admiral Jameson is driving, <laughs> did it remind you of any particular, uh, you know, character in another medium? Uh, maybe foreshadowing a little bit of uh, Patrick Stewart's future. I don't know if it, I, I guess if you're trying to get to like the, like Professor X from the X-Men cartoon where you have yes. that like sort of hovering chair. It did kind of look like that. Now though in the movies, it looks much different. Right. Um, which is more what I am familiar with, but yeah, the one, in, it does kind of look similar to the one in the cartoon. Cause it had those like little panels that went over like his legs and his lap. And if he wanted to get up, they sort of like slid to the side. Yes. So yeah, they, that was kind of Professor X ish. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't the, uh, you know, Christopher Pike level, like right up to the neck. This one's kind of like of the same ilk, but waist level kind of thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that sounds, yeah, pretty much. And I guess just to kind of circle that last square, what are your thoughts of the Admiral's outfit from this kind of uh, era? I know that we kind of change the Admiral's outfit depending on what season of Next Generation that we're into. Um, and we all have our favorites and our, our least favorites. What are your thoughts on, on this particular one that we get? I'm not a big fan. I think it's pretty gaudy. It's got this weird, like, black uh, vertical 
triangular stripe thing with the gold on it and it just, i don't know it, it doesn't look that great i mean these uniforms in general are not very good and so to sort of admiral fy it is not great either <laughs> yeah it's kind of like remember the vancouver canucks had like the big deep v uh, oh God, uniforms yes. it's kind of like half of that and it's and it's black but yeah, I, these are not my favorite at all either. Um, I just thought that I'd bring it up because um, I don't know that we see this one a whole lot in the first season. I think even by the time we get to Conspiracy, they might be wearing different ones. Uh, but I could be wrong on that. So, um, yeah, these ones are not my favorite either. Uh, now, the uh, other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about was this routine medical checkup. Now, the routine medical checkup that we've never seen before and we've never seen since. <laughs> Is this kind of implying that maybe this guy was like off duty or something? Kind of like I was mentioning with the tenure track and they're like just bringing him in for this one mission. And so it's kind of like he has to get he's got a clear physical before the trade goes down. Um, or is this just so that we can set up this whole Iverness syndrome? That's a good question, and I'm not quite sure the answer. I, I I feel like maybe they were like suspicious of him for some reason, and so they're like, "Oh, we better make sure he does his routine checkup." Right. That's sort of the impression that I got, but I don't really know why they would be suspicious of him at that point. Well, just because when he came in, he said he was going to run the mission, but I didn't think that that was that strange. No, no, me neither. So I don't know if this is like just like, oh, the guy's new on the ship. We better give him a checkup to make sure he's not going to like kick the bucket while we're in the middle of this mission or, or i don't know maybe they were suspicious for some reason yeah i think that they were trying to make it seem like everybody was suspicious but um it, it didn't really jive because i didn't really think he was out of bounds like he's the admiral and he's like i'm gonna run the mission and that's like okay well that's why they brought him so that makes 100 percent sense to me right um but yeah, for whatever reason, Picard and Riker are way more intuitive than you and I. So they obviously see something or feel something that uh, we don't necessarily know. Maybe maybe Troy like said something to them like off camera or something. There, she's like, "I sense the admiral is uh, hiding something, Captain. Maybe we should get him checked out." Right. Yeah. The cut scene, maybe. Exactly. Yes. All right, now on to some more important things. Is Jameson's wife the marble rye woman from that episode of Seinfeld where Jerry has to steal back the marble rye? Mrs. Choate? <laughs> yeah. The answer to that is it. it I actually thought the same thing, um, and I checked it out. And it's a different actress, uh, even though they kind of look the same and kind of remind you of the same kind of, like, you know, sort of older woman. Uh, the, the actor's name is Marsha Hunt, and there's actually a few interesting little pieces here. So, so number one, she is actually still alive. Do you want to take a guess at how old she is? Give, keeping in mind that this episode was, was produced she was old then. 33, 35 years ago. She's got to be like into her like late, I'm going to say 97. That's very good. She's actually 103 years old. Wow, good for her. And she's been, uh, she's been acting since like the 1930s and 40s. Wow, she's been around since like literally the golden era. Exactly, yes. Now the other interesting little tidbit, uh, she is the second oldest living uh, actor who has appeared on Star Trek. Can, do you want to hazard a guess as to who the oldest is at 106 years old? 106. Um, wow, that is, an, that is such a good question. If this was a trivia 
thing, you would be killing it. I I have absolutely. I don't even can't even hazard a guess. The actor who played Doctor uh, or Professor Galen in uh, the episode called The Chase. Okay. You remember that one? He is still alive and he is 106 years old. His name is Norman Lloyd. Wow. Okay. Um, I don't think that you or I are going to make it that long. So I think their records are safe. Uh, they're safe from us anyway. Uh, that is insane. Yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, actually, it's funny that you mentioned age because one thing that I find very difficult to kind of keep straight is that they try to extrapolate uh, like human life expectancy in Star Trek, right? Um, and obviously Vulcans live longer and, and everything. So they make a point of saying that, uh, you know, he's hiding something during his medical evaluation and that he there's something not quite right. And Picard basically says, well, you know what? Um, you know, he's 85 years old. He's probably just confused and maybe a little bit scared. And then I was thinking, like, wait, isn't Picard, like, supposed to be near 80 at this point? I don't know if that was the intention or not. I don't seem to recall anything in Next Generation that would indicate that he was, like, super old. But we've talked about, like, Tuvok was really old. Yeah, at least, like, triple digits or, or so Janeway said in that one episode. And didn't we get, like, uh, Admiral um, DeForest Kelly in the first episode? Wasn't he supposed to be, like, in his hundreds as well? Yep, yep, that's true. Uh, okay, well, apparently... Based on my Googling, John or Patrick Stewart is 78 and he was supposed to be 59 when TNG started. So ah. there you go. I guess he's maybe 80 now that it's like he's in the Picard series. So uh, anyway, that's why I ask you these questions, uh, because I wouldn't know the answers to them otherwise. Yeah, I think the only thing is that like maybe they've figured out how to like have humans live maybe into their hundreds more more routinely by the 24th century so maybe you get like like you get admiral mccoy at you know 100 and whatever 10 years old still kicking so that's the only sort of difference i would say okay well it's one of those things where like you would expect like as medical history gets better and everything like life expectancy gets longer just like we've experienced in our own kind of world and planet right like it's way better now than it was 50 years ago versus 100 versus 200 so versus 5,000 years ago where you'd be lucky to live to like 30 yeah exactly we'd already <laughs> be done and dusted my friend well or we'd be super old right we'd be like the village elders <laughs> now i mean the other thing that you can do is you can take an anti-aging reverse serum like Admiral Jameson did. So, uh, I mean, it doesn't take very long before this guy's, you know, super deadly, super incurable disease. Uh, he Now he's up and he's walking around and he's feeling much better. Um, what do you think of this as a story? Like just, I mean, it's essentially the Benjamin Button thing, right? He's going to de-age himself and get younger and younger. Uh, and not only do you think it was a good idea, but how do you think it was kind of um, shown on the episode? Well, it's an interesting story, especially given like what we're getting here where he's like secretly you know trying to right a wrong that he made and then this other Karnas guy's like trying to get revenge on him so um yeah for him to like de- purposely de-age himself to try to like be strong enough and young enough and tough enough whatever to like right this wrong that he did on uh what's the name of the planet again Mordon 5 Mordon Morden 5 
uh, yeah, like I, I think it's an interesting idea to to have this guy, you know, trying to de-age himself so he can like face his past, I guess. Yeah, I think that the one thing that this episode kind of holds back is that I don't know that the the chemistry and the tension between Jameson and this Kamas guy ever really works. I mean, it's essentially about a guy going back in age. And this whole thing about how he made a big mistake and he kind of... I think at one point they even say that he has a different interpretation of the Prime Directive. So he made this call, but it was a bad call. Now he's going to go back and fix it. Um, I don't know that I love that. I think that it may have worked better just as a straight anti-aging episode. Well, he needs a reason. I think he needs a reason to take the de-aging serum or whatever it was uh, to the point where he would de-age that rapidly and ultimately succumb to it. Um, I, I thought that it was kind of nice, like interesting that he, he did this terrible thing, which led to 40 years of war on this planet, and he felt that he needed to, uh, you know, try to make up for it and try and do right by it. So I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't think the side stuff was all that bad. I thought it was pretty kind of interesting. Did you feel like the anti-aging was affecting the way that he thought about things like did you think that it was actually like altering the way that his like mind worked and stuff because he seems very aggressive there's even like a point um where like as soon as he recovers he's gonna like get back with his wife again because he's now he's young and and he's frisky did you think that he was maybe a little bit um like it was affecting his psyche or did you just think that like you know, an old man and a young man's body, of course, everybody's going to go a little crazy, I guess, or get a little excited. That's an interesting question, because I, I didn't really think about that much through the episode. It really just seemed to be, on the surface, it seemed to just be affecting his, uh, his body. But if you think about it, I mean, he does, like you said, he's getting, you know, frisky with his wife, which would be something you might more expect a younger person to do. And he was sort of getting more aggressive and a little bit more uh, assertive towards the end as he was getting younger as well. Um, like there was that point in the away mission where they were, you know, under attack from those people firing those hilarious sounding weapons. Yeah. And he's like, you know, he tries to like get up and be the hero. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my back. And like Worf has to like pull him down before he gets shot. And yeah, so I, maybe it was affecting his mind as well and, and sort of giving him more of a young person sort of gung-ho kind of uh, attitude. Yeah. Now they definitely used light and dark to either do one of two things. The first thing would be that they just wanted to do the big spooky reveal that now this guy is way younger than he used to be. Um, and the second one might be that, you know, you typically use light and dark to kind of show evil and good, right? You know, we, we've seen that in a million movies and television shows. Which one did you think it was? Or like he spins around in the chair and all of a sudden you can like see his like nice, immaculate dark hair. Exactly. <laughs> What was your take on that? I think it was a, maybe a bit of both. I think they were trying to kind of shroud him in mystery a little bit as he was getting younger, especially towards the beginning when he went from like, you know, 85-year-old Jameson to like whatever, 60-year-old Jameson. I think they were trying to kind of have this sort of aura of mystery about it. But I think he does 
definitely have kind of a mean streak to him because he did this horrible thing by, you know, supplying weapons, uh, which is a very non-Starfleet thing to do, by the way, uh, to both sides in this, you know, global conflict that ended up raging on for 40 years. Um, that's not a very good thing to do. So I think he does kind of have a bit of a an evil streak to him. Yeah, now the whole thing about him having a different perception of the prime directive and that was kind of the rationale for why he had done it and how he was going to rectify it. I didn't quite get that. Um, what was your take on it? Just because I, I mean, I only watched the episode once and it was a very quick little bit where they talked about it. What was, what was kind of your thought on the uh, you know, on, on this whole idea that they're, they're going to it's his he's got a different interpretation of the prime directive i think it's a pretty horrible uh, interpretation of the prime directive like as uh, to say that i'm going to interfere but i'm going to interfere equally to these two sides of this this conflict uh, that's a pretty shady uh, way to interpret uh, the prime directive and i don't really know that they gave us a good reason for him to do that I think he kind of said like, oh, I, I thought that like if they sort of worked out their problems, they it would take like a year or something. I think that's really all that was said, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Even even supplying weapons for a war that lasts one year is a pretty horrible thing to do. True. Um, also, did they ever explain exactly why he didn't go and solve this problem prior? You know what I mean? Like, why did he wait until he was so old to get this opportunity? Like, there, there's something to this episode that I'm not quite grasping, maybe? Like, is it just me, perhaps? Or is there something that I actually missed? Because I feel like there's something to it where I'm like, wait, why, why did he have to wait until now? You know, why did he have to... Couldn't he have fixed this earlier, you know? No, I don't think you missed anything. There wasn't really a lot said. Like, like, like he, he didn't think that 20 years of, like, constant war would be a good time to go. And like, okay, maybe I need to fix this. Right. <laughs> or or 10 years or one year. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there, I don't think you missed anything because I, I don't recall any, any sort of explanation as to why he waited 40 years to finally uh, do something about this. Yeah. Maybe he just felt really guilty and he, or, or he just felt like, I don't want to implicate myself here. Well, yeah. And I, I kind of felt like, I mean, I get the, under, I get the idea that he's going to kind of go in and he's going to solve it himself. But then by the same token, I mean, the same outcome could have happened if he had just went to Starfleet command and said, Hey, listen, 40 years ago, I really screwed up when I did this and you need to go in and rectify it. Like, couldn't that have also solved the problem? That would have helped, yeah. <laughs> I guess you don't get an episode if that's the case. Just him sitting in the waiting room waiting to go in for his meeting. Yeah, yeah. It'd be a pretty uh, pretty lackluster episode, I would say. Uh, now, I do love the young Admiral. I don't know that we've ever gotten this, and I was going to actually pose the question to you because I think that it's something that if they have done it, they haven't, I don't remember it, uh, and if they haven't done it, they should do it. What is your thoughts on a young hot-headed admiral maybe like a doogie house doogie hauser-esque admiral that kind of like rise to the <laughs> ranks way faster than everybody else and now he's kind of you know gained all this uh gained all this power 
but he's still young and that makes him kind of hot-headed um have they ever done that number one and number two what do you think of that as an idea as an episode on itself generally admirals are old uh, i don't think i can remember i mean admiral ross might be the youngest and he was you know probably in his 40s or 50s at least um i i can't think of a young like you know 30s aged admiral that i can't think of one well i mean tilly could be an admiral like probably within a couple of months because she went from uh ensign to (laughs) ensign to first officer (laughs) she's on the track to be the first one but no it's true they've always kind of been an old person right um and so that makes it i don't know like i feel like maybe that would be kind of a cool episode yeah you have this like really ambitious really zany hot-headed you know doesn't really think things over too much admiral i don't know if it would be you'd be able to get to the rank of admiral if you were like that but it could be an interesting idea where you just have this like impulsive crazy young admiral that just sort of does whatever comes to them at that moment or even not necessarily not hot-headed but like what about an episode where like remember um commander shelby from best of both worlds like what about somebody like that who's just like so ambitious and who is like so into her career and they're just going to move up the ranks and they're going to you know get to get to the highest rank possible at the youngest age possible like i kind of feel like that could be a cool story um and i just don't know that with the new way that they're doing shows that we're ever going to kind of get stuff like that but um i would like to see it i I think that there's kind of a lot uh a lot kind of that could be there i think so too yeah you you get like this crazy hot-headed overly ambitious uh admiral that doesn't really think things over too much or is really focused on doing what's best for them that could be an interesting that feels like a deep space nine kind of thing yes totally does doesn't it now one thing i will say about this episode matt is that i felt like it just blasted by like i sat down and i flipped it on and the next thing i know it's like oh geez this is over um and i'm not saying that that made it good or bad or otherwise but um i felt like it went really quickly like the pacing was really good um except the end little piece and so uh I mean, at the risk of maybe seeming like I'm really dumb and I can't follow along here, um, the end scenes, um, he dies of young age at, I mean, what would he be in his 20s, I guess, maybe at the point in which he dies. Um, and then this this whole terrorist thing, like, I guess the it turned out that Karnas or Karmas, whatever his name was, um, like he was holding the he was holding everybody hostage and then he decides to release them because now Jameson's dead and he's learned an important lesson and then everybody kind of nods and drives off into the sunset. Explain the fifth act to me because I don't know that I f- was following it. Well, I mean, Jameson knew ahead of time that there were no hostage or that there were no, uh, what do they call them, dissidents or terror? Like he, he knew that Karnas was the one holding the hostages and he knew that, uh, you know, Karnas wanted to like face him or whatever for what he did. Uh, that way, that sort of rescue mission was a bit, a bit zany. I mean, we see these like guys with these really cheeseball-looking helmets and phaser rifles that were making hilarious sounds. That didn't go well because they got like ambushed and pinned down and had to beam back up to the ship. And then yeah, there's that final scene where they all sort of beam down and Karnas is like, "You're not Jameson." He's like 85 years old, and then he has like shows him like some scar that he 
Yeah, it was. It, I mean, it was. I think you mentioned in the uh, the the synopsis that it was kind of a original series kind of ending, where it all everything just sort of happens really fast. It all wraps up, and it, we've said it before, but it, it's almost like they're filming it. They're like, "Yeah, this is going great. This is going great." And then, like, an intern leans in and says, "Hey, guys, like, you've only got like three minutes left." And they go, "Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, then, then he's gonna die, and uh, the guy will let the hostages go, and then." Uh, they'll bury him on the planet and everyone will drive off. Like that was how it felt. Um, and I kind of feel like that is the last couple of uh, original series episodes. That was one of the complaints, right? Is that um, when we watched The Squire of Gothos and when we watched, uh, I can't remember the other TOS episode, Pirates of Orion maybe, I guess, on the animated series. Uh, but it was like they were, it was cruising along and then all of a sudden it's over and you're kind of left to just digest it yourself because it happens so quickly. Um, so yeah, interesting, but, um, I don't know that I loved the ending. I kind of think that, uh, if they had maybe gone a different way, it would have been a little bit better, but, uh, what were your kind of just final thoughts on the whole end of the episode and the, the lesson that we're supposed to take away? Cause I don't know that we necessarily get one. Well, it was all pretty quick. Uh, like that away mission was pretty. It, it was pretty fast, and and it it, it ended very suddenly. Uh, you know, it looked like they were sort of on the right track, and then all of a sudden these guys bust into the room, and they're like that that sort of phaser battle. It, it seemed it's it's funny to say this because we're talking about how rushed the ending was, but it seemed like it was kind of drawn out a bit. Cause there's like that whole thing where like, they're all kind of like spread out and they're all like trying to like cover for each other as they all sort of like jump around and like data does that crazy, like, you know, front flip <laughs> across the way. And, and then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, like we're screwed. We can't do anything. Like we better beam back up. And then, yeah, the whole thing at the end with, with where Jameson and, and Picard and, and Crusher go to see Carnass, um, you know, that's basically like, yeah, here he is. And, and Karnas is like, oh, like he's dead. Oh, OK, well, see you later. Here's your hostages. The, the final scene was a little bit. Uh, I mean, I think the message is like, you know, sometimes the price of revenge or uh, avenging something that you've done is maybe too high because, I mean, Jameson ended up dying. Was it really worth dying for? Yeah, I mean, at, at at the risk of maybe doing the same thing on this episode, I mean, that's kind of too short a season, isn't it? Like, there isn't much else to it. Like, I kind of feel like we've done the same thing here where we're just kind of wrapping it up like, well, that's the way that it goes. But, I mean, in terms of a Star Trek episode, it is pretty light on... Uh, you know, like on substance, I felt anyway, I'm not saying it's a bad episode. I'm not saying it wasn't, un, in, uh, you know, not enjoyable, but I mean, this was, you know, your popcorn bowl is only half empty by the time the episode's done. Um, or at least that's <laughs> how I felt. Did you feel like this one just went by in a blink or did you find this one to be more of a slog? I didn't really think it was either. I mean, it was, it was fine. I didn't really, I wasn't like clicking on the timer or whatever to see how long was left. I, I thought it moved along at a pretty decent speed. Which, you know what? I mean, with all the episodes of television and movies and 
streaming and all the stuff that we have access to um, an, a TV show from the 80s holding your attention for 40 minutes 45 minutes um, that's still pretty impressive because honestly there's so many other things you could be watching or doing and so um, I think if it does that I, you almost have to call it a, a success <laughs> All right, as is customary, let's talk about the guest stars here and uh, how much we enjoyed them. Um, the first one, obviously, Admiral Jameson. We, we have spent, I mean, the better part of an hour here kind of talking about Jameson, uh, the character, the motives, the ending. Uh, but what did you think of kind of the actor's portrayal and the makeup and just kind of Jameson as a whole? Yeah, I mean, the, we talked about the makeup. I mean, it the the contrast was good but the makeup was not great um i i thought the acting was decent uh just because you got this guy who's like 85 years old and he's kind of maybe a little more soft-spoken and and you know certainly not as gung-ho as the young jameson was and then as he sort of got younger he sort of had that more vitality to him so i thought that that was pretty well done i mean by the time you get to the final scene where you got like when you know 20 something jameson like he was pretty you know gung-ho and yeah, no, I thought the the sort of change in uh, demeanor was was good as the episode went on. I would agree. Yeah, I would say that uh, that's probably not covered in acting school one hundred and one. You know, playing somebody who's old and then and then <laughs> becoming young again. So uh, from that respect, I think it was really good. It was pretty obvious that it was a young person in makeup. But that being said, I felt like it didn't ever take away. Like it was never so cheesy that it was unbelievable. So I think that, yeah, that was pretty much spot on. Um, how about his wife, Ann Jameson, who isn't really in it a whole lot. Um, but I mean, what did you think of the scenes that she was in? And was she believable as kind of the like 1950s tag along wife here? Well, I thought the scenes where she was, like, expressing concern about, you know, like, what's happening to you, Mark? Why are you, uh, like, remember there was that scene where he, like, gets out of his wheelchair and sort of walks, like, across the room and sits down in another chair? And at first she was, like, all excited, like, oh, like, you're doing this new therapy. Well, that's great, Mark. I'm glad you're feeling better. And then as, like, he kept getting younger and younger, she's like, Mark, is there, are you, is this really a good idea? Like, should you really be, have done what you did? And at the end, you get the sort of concern and the, the sadness that, like, he was, you know, getting so young that he was he was going to die. Um, I, I thought the portrayal of, of Anne was actually pretty good as well. And considering the experience that the, the actress has, I mean, that, that shouldn't come as a surprise, I, I suppose. Yeah, no, 100%. I feel like, uh, th like she was done really well. It's just one of those things where uh, you don't really get... A lot of scenes right like she's kind of more in the background and stuff but i thought that it was really well done um and, and very believable right as kind of the as the wife the ailing wife that you know is is kind of trying to deal with it she kind of just goes away a little bit um like once he kind of turns young she's not really in it until at the very end when when he, he dies um which was a little bit too bad it would have been kind of nice to see the old wife with the young <laughs> admiral that i think that'd be kind of a, a nice little kind of scene to see but we didn't get it so um and then kind of finally is this kamas guy uh who is the general or the governor of the planet but he's also the villain we find out he's the one holding the hostages uh, it wasn't much to him he was just sort of like on the view screen a bunch of times and then the final scene i don't know there wasn't really a lot to him i didn't think he was just sort of like a guy out for revenge i guess 
against Admiral Jameson. Yeah, see, I, and I would go a step further. Like, I thought he was just terrible. He just sat behind the desk. I didn't see that he was <laughs> menacing or evil or anything at all. Like at the end when they revealed that he was actually the big bad who had uh, orchestrated this whole thing for revenge. It was like, wait, I thought that that guy was like a secretary or something. I got <laughs> nothing from this guy. I, I think that that was uh, just a terribly done. There was no clues. There was no hints. There was no nothing that this guy was was actually the evil person other than Jameson kind of saying it. Um, and they didn't even really do anything where it was kind of left ambiguous, you know, like, oh, Jameson thinks he's evil, but, you know, we haven't seen anything like that, so we don't know. It was just so lackluster. Like, I didn't think that this guy was good at all. And at the end, he doesn't even emote anything that the real Jameson is dead. And after 45 years of thinking about this and, and, and worrying about it and creating this big vengeance thing, you just think that you'd get something a little bit more that we just don't get. Part of it was the writing, but I think also just like sitting in that desk uh, just didn't really give anything to this character at all. So um, I was not a fan of Kamas, but I mean, he was pretty minor in the episode. I think his plan was not bad. It's just he didn't. He, there was nothing. You're like you said. There's no menacing or anything imposing yeah. at all. He was just sort of hanging around, like sending all these messages. Just him sitting there, like playing Minesweep in between scenes, <laughs> isn't really enough to make it happen. So I, I didn't like Kamas that much, but um, it was a pretty minor piece. Uh, anyway, let's go on to production notes. A couple of interesting things here. Um, the first one is just absolutely shocking. Um, that wheelchair that they used for this one particular scene, um, cost $10,000 in 1988, which is a lot of money. Um, it also didn't move and essentially was the biggest albatross that they had ever used or done um the director hated it the actors hated it um all of the scenes where it was on the bridge was troublesome to film because it didn't fit where all the con station was and they had to take chairs out and move stuff around and basically this wheelchair thing was a disaster um so much so that uh in the episode melora from deep space nine which i think is season one or two um they just went with a more standard a more standard wheelchair. So um, first off, do you remember the episode Melora and what it's about? Uh, and then the second question is, is that, uh, you know, are you going to be buying that wheelchair if it comes up in, uh, you know, Sotheby's auction or something anytime soon? Yeah, Melora is the one where they're that woman from uh, planet with like super low gravity comes to the station and she has to like use a wheelchair because... If she uses the regular gravity, like it'll just crush her bones or whatever. Um, so yeah, she has to drive around in a wheelchair while she's on the station. I think that they had that same uh, that uh, same a person from the same planet uh, serves on the Titan, I believe. I think it's actually Melora. Oh, is that the same person? I think it is. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be. Wow. Okay. Good. Good knowledge, Matt. I never put two and two together. Uh, but she eventually goes and works on the Titan for anybody who's not read the book series. As for the wheelchair, uh, I don't know. That might be, it doesn't look like it, it doesn't look like it would be something that you like sit in the living room and like use as a recliner or something, or it doesn't look like <laughs> no. it would be a comfortable chair to sit in. So I don't think I'll be purchasing it at auction. No. And it was humongous too, right? So some Trek fan probably has it in their basement somewhere in the world. 
Oh, I'm sure that they do. If you do, if you do, let us know. We'd love to hear about it. Uh, <laughs> Jameson's chair sitting in your garage. <laughs> or they just chopped it up for firewood, one of the two. Um, <laughs> now, a couple of interesting things in that, that Kamas's guy's office. Um, he has a couple of bird sculptures, which I guess they grabbed out of props. Um, and those bird sh- sculptures were used in the pilot as well as the finale because uh, that they were in like Q's courtroom, I guess. Um, and he also has a phaser from the Wrath of Khan and a phaser from Search from Spock. Um, did you pick up on those little Easter eggy things or was it kind of too minor? Um, the bird sculptures I did not notice. Uh, I, I know that the weapons like sort of behind his desk that were like mounted on the wall, they did look like just old props, but I didn't really stop and like, you know, zoom in and, you know, freeze frame it. But I, I did sort of look at them and think, oh yeah, those are, must be old props. Like they're sort of old, old Star Trek looking phasers. Yeah. I mean, just kind of, it's just a, it's just a tidbit of trivia. Um, this, uh, next bit of trivia comes with a bit of a discussion afterwards. So, um, Wesley Crusher does not appear in the episode, which, I mean, we've talked about Jake not appearing in episodes and we talked about, you know, O'Brien's not in all the Deep Space Nine episodes, but this was cause for kind of great discussion early days, next generation. Gene Roddenberry apparently was really pushing for the Admiral to stop aging at 14 and become friends with Wesley and everybody else kind of said, no, we don't want to do that. And I guess like Gene Roddenberry went on a business meeting or he went on vacation or something and they just filmed it without Wesley in it. And so I guess he kind of got upset because he felt like if you're in the credits or like if you're part of the main cast, you should be in all the episodes. And so this was a great debate and a great discussion of the time was should Wesley be in all of the episodes? Do you kind of feel like, you know, when they give the obligatory Cisco scene where he's in it for like one second, it, it, you know, it makes you feel good to know that, you know, the actor got a payday that week. Or do you think that an ensemble cast should have enough confidence as well as, you know, enough of the pie to share that you don't really need the characters in every single episode? Well, Jake's uh, agent wouldn't be happy if Gene Roddenberry <laughs> was alive when Deep Space Nine was made because that is very true. Ciroc Lofton would have to like roll out of bed every week instead of you know sitting out whatever it was like. It was a significant number that he was not in, even though he was one of the main cast. So he was barely in half, I think, is what we've always looked at. I it's a significant number. Like it's not like he missed ten episodes. Like it's a it's a I don't know what it is, but it's a pretty hefty number. I don't know how you shoehorn Wesley in here if you're not going to sort of take that angle that Jameson is going to go to 14 and then stop. And I don't know if you necessarily need to have every single main character in every single episode. Like, if if it doesn't make sense, why just throw a scene in just so that you can get that person in there? Yeah, well, I mean, they've done it, though, right? Like, how many episodes of Voyager and Deep Space Nine and stuff are there where the captain comes in in the last 25 seconds and says one line or is in the first 10 seconds and says one line? Like, they always did seem to kind of try to keep at least the captain in all the episodes, or at least that's how I always felt. Yeah, but I think that's like a contract thing because they're like the main one star of the show. Right. I think that they actually do have to have the the one like because the captain is like, you know, it says on the credits starring 
uh, you know, Avery Brooks, and then it's it's like also starring, and then it's, that's all the rest of them. So I think because of that, they do have to have the captains in there. But I feel like if it doesn't make sense, why shoehorn the other ones in there needlessly? Okay, good point. I agree with most of the points you said there, so I'm, I'm right on board with you. Just another little piece of trivia, just in case you're ever in like a bar somewhere and this comes up because this would be super, super obscure. This is one of three times where Captain Picard sits in Riker's chair. Uh, Jameson, of course, the young Jameson sits in Picard's chair at one point and, he's, and Picard sits in Riker's chair. The other two times are the naked now, and all good things. Now, the naked now, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly why he would have sat there. I was trying to think about all good things and why he would have sat in Riker's chair. Maybe it was old Picard, like at the end of the, like in that one timeline. But um, there you have it. There's only been three instances where that has occurred. There you go. You can impress your friends on uh, Star Trek Trivia Night at your local uh, bar or tavern. If they ever are open again. Yeah, really. And that's it. Uh, That is too short a season. So, Matt, why don't you give me some of your favorite scenes, your favorite quote, uh, your final thoughts, and a rating out of five giant wheelchairs. There's really only one line that jumped out to me. It's pretty funny. Uh, It's it's sort of an interaction between Riker and Jameson. So Riker says uh, they're talking about, like, you know, after sort of at the beginning of the mission when they figure out that oh yeah Carnes is like you know there's these people that have taken hostages and and he's asked for you know Carnes has asked for Jameson to come mediate it and Riker says uh what I don't understand sir is how Carnes knew that you were still available and then Jameson says still alive you mean that was I thought that was a pretty funny uh funny line um so I don't know as for the the episode as a whole um like I said off the bat like this is probably one of the better first season episodes it's maybe the best you know one of the better of the first two seasons um which is you know maybe some people would say kind of a low bar but regardless uh i thought it was a pretty solid episode uh, i like the the sort of de-aging uh story um and i like that he was trying to like avenge something that he did prior that was not very good uh you know basically giving weapons to these two groups of people that ended up fighting each other for 40 years um there was a few kind of cheesy parts to it in the end was kind of rushed but overall i thought it was pretty good like i said i didn't check the timer once which is usually a good sign and um i thought the acting of you know jameson and his wife was both pretty good uh uh, i mean overall it was a it was a pretty good pretty enjoyable episode i certainly will give it a passing grade uh even though it's first season uh, so I, I'm going to give it three giant wheelchairs out of five. It was, uh, it was overall it was pretty good. It was enjoyable. And, uh... uh, yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I don't know that it's, I mean, there's just not that much great stuff in the first season, sadly. Um, this to me is a total middle of the road. Like if it was possible to give a half mark, this is the definition of a 2.5 out of five episode. Uh, we don't do the half marks and the quarter points and all that nonsense. So I'm going to kind of lean more towards two giant wheelchairs out of five. Um, I, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but it definitely is not not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, definitely an enjoyable 40 minutes of, of watching. And I mean, I do kind of feel like this is a memorable episode. 
Uh, and in terms of my favorite uh, quote or my favorite scene, um, it's uh, a kind of a small one. It's a little bit of a boastful uh, Captain Picard. There's a uh, a scene where Data basically mentions that uh, you know the, the, that alarm indicates the shields are getting low or whatever. And Picard says, thank you, Mr. Data. I've heard the sound before, uh, which I thought was kind of a cute little line. And you don't see Picard really boastful. And so, I don't know, that one just kind of sat with me as kind of an interesting one. All right, Matt, that is the sound that I know that you dread. That is the red alert siren indicating that we are at the end of the episode and it is time to draw a fresh one for our episode in two weeks time do you have any thoughts prayers wishes or hopes for your episode this week i think we're due for a classic like a you know an episode an all-time great episode because i don't think we've really had like a top 25 episode yet here on rtr so i think we're due i i could be on board for that i i definitely feel like this season we have been all over the place. So yeah, the one thing that we have been missing is definitely a, yeah, like just a total classic, you know, best of both worlds or um, the visitor, like just something that we're going to be blow our socks with. So let's just reach in here to the beanie of episodes and uh, see what we get. Um, we are maybe going to get it. Maybe. Yeah, this is uh, this is one of my favorite episodes uh, for a series. Uh, if you go back to episode zero, we talked about this one. So this this might be the case. Um, top 20 of all time. Uh, that I don't know. Um, but anyway, it is from Enterprise and it is from season one. It is uh, episode seven, and I'm super excited to look into this one again, man. Uh, it is the Andorian incident. So Matt is going to take a minute to just uh, kind of uh, clear his thoughts, maybe jot down his thoughts. Um, if you are playing at home, then uh, you should do the same. We're looking for characters. We're looking for plot points. We're looking for guest stars, anything that you uh, can remember from that particular episode. Um, and then uh, write it down. And uh, if you want, you could even email it in, randomtrekreview at gmail.com. We could grade it for us, for you, school teacher style. Uh, Matt, do you think you've got a, a handle on the Andorian incident? I certainly do, yes. And would you say that that is an all-time great Enterprise en episode? If I had to sit down, I this would be a, in consideration for like a top 10 list. Yeah, yeah, I totally, think. right? So you, you definitely... You definitely got what you asked for, you know. Uh, that if, it's my lucky yeah, day. Yeah, you, you definitely lucked out here. So <laughs> I'm going to throw 60 seconds on the clock, uh, and uh, you try to tell me as much as you can remember from the Andorian incident starting now. Okay, so the crew ends up going to this, like, Vulcan monastery called Pajem. And uh, while they're visiting, there are these, like, Andorians led by our old friend uh, Shran, played by Jeffrey Coombs. And um, they're, like, sort of, they're there because they feel like uh, the Vulcans are, like, using the monastery as a cover for, like, a spy station that they're using to spy on the Andorians, who they, uh, who they don't like. And the Vulcans, or the, and the Andorians don't like them. And so, you know... Uh, Archer like and, and the away team like unwittingly sort of waltz into it and they get captured and Archer gets beat up like he always does and um, there's like 
this uh you know kerfuffle and the the crew of the enterprise has to like you know rescue the crew members and um in the end of the episode it turns out that uh there's like this you know secret underground place where there actually is a vulcan like listening post that they're using to spy on the andorians all right yeah that's pretty much the episode i i mean i'm still gonna go watch it but uh that pretty much summarized it uh really well it's been a long, long time since we have been on the old NX-01, so it'll be exciting to go back and uh, visit Archer, and uh, yeah, man, it's been a long road, so... Uh, oh, I was uh, just going to say that. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I'm excited for that. We've actually had a disproportionately low number of Enterprise episodes, so it's it, this will be the first step in uh, you know the the NX01 catching up to the the rest. Well, you know what the problem is, it can only go warp five, so it's gonna take a lot to uh, <laughs> it's gonna take a lot to catch up. But I'm super excited for that one. I hope all of you listening at home are equally as excited. So uh, make sure you come back in two weeks' time, which I guess is gonna be pretty close to Valentine's Day. So um, bring your chocolates and bring your little stuffy bears with uh, hearts on it, so you can. And watch the Andorian episode and incident with Matt and I next time on RTR. All right, get your antennae roving. <laughs> bye bye, everybody. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Hollow Sweet Media programs. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program for Her First Trek, a Star Trek review podcast. When Data gets there, she's scantily clad. I mean, that bit of clothing goes low. She must have had a wax job just before. Oh, yeah. It goes about as low as any item of clothing could go without showing your vagina. Mm. Don't you think? Mm. Would you wear anything that low? Is that even a real question? Of course I wouldn't wear anything that low. I was just wondering because I was going to get cosplay. I pull all of my stuff up to my belly button. <laughs> no one wants to see that. My uterus would be hanging out. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> right, I'll scratch that off the list then. Back to the oh, Princess Leia fantasy. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Vedic Assembly, a Deep Space Nine podcast. Uh, because of the expanse. Like, if, mm-hmm. you were, if you were trying to portray a, a species like that in Star Trek, you were like, oh, they're just doing the Belfers from The Expanse. Yes, well, and actually, they did it better in The Expanse than they did in Star Trek. Because they actually hired really, really lanky tall people to play them. Mm -hmm. They can't do, practically, what the Belters would really look like according to the books, but they Hmm. did as close as they possibly could, and it still works for me. And it's a much more interesting origin and story, and they just did everything better. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Random Trek Review, a Star Trek review podcast. Who knows? I mean, what's the worst that happens? They all have a terrible experience and you, you learn that, okay, maybe there's nothing we can really do to to get these people to work better. And, you know, you go from there. Or aliens shear off the side of the Delta Flyer and they all die a horrible death in space. I mean, that could happen too. <laughs> Yeah, that's also possible, but then I guess, I mean, you'd have a whole new problem, but that would solve the problem of three underperforming crew members. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.